0: Letter Twenty Five, of Station Life in New Zealand, by Lady Marianne Barker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letter Twenty Five, How We Lost Our Horses and Had to Walk Home, Broomy Law, November, eighteen sixty-eight. This will actually be my last letter from the Malvern Hills, and, in spite of the joy I feel at the hope of seeing all my beloved ones in England, I am so sorry. To leave my dear little happy valley we have done nothing but pay farewell visits lately and i turn for a final look at each station or cottage as we ride away with a great tightness at my heart and moisture in my eyes to think i shall never see them again you must not be jealous at the lingering regrets i feel for unless you had been with me here you can never understand how kind and friendly all our neighbors high and low have been to us from the very first or how dearly I have grown to love them. I don't at all know how I am to say good-bye to dear Mrs. M., the shepherd's wife I told you of. I believe she will miss me more than any one, and I cannot bear to think of her left to pass her days without the help of books and papers, which I was always so glad to lend her. I often walk down the valley to take tea with her of an afternoon, and to say good-bye, but I have not said it yet. I wish you could see her parlour as i saw it yesterday afternoon her books in a bookcase of her husband's manufacture very nice and pretty her spinning wheel in the corner the large bow-pot of flowers in the window and such a tea on the table cream-like clots of gold scones oat-cakes all sorts of delicacies she herself is quite charming one of nature's ladies i have given her as a parting gift a couple of scotch views framed and they hang on the wall as a memento of places equally dear to both of us. It is a sorrow to me to leave the horses and dogs, and my pet calves and poultry. Even the trees and creepers I go round to look at, with the melancholy feeling of other owners not loving them so much as I have done. However, I must not make my last letter too dismal, or you will feel that I am not glad enough to return to you all. My only apology is I have been so very happy here now for our latest adventure as absurd as any in its way have i ever told you that our post-office is ten miles off with an atrocious road between us and it i know you will throw down this letter and feel rather disgusted with me for being so sorry to leave such a place but we don't mind trifles here lately since our establishment has been broken up we have been living in great discomfort and among other things we generally if not always Have to go for our own letters twice a week upon this occasion f and i had ridden together up the gorge of the selwyn rather late in the afternoon to avoid the extreme heat of the day when we reached the shepherd's hut i have mentioned before and which is now deserted i proposed to f to go on over the hills alone and leave me there as i was very hot and tired and he could travel much quicker without me for i am ashamed to say that i still object to riding fast up and down slippery hills. I cannot get rid of the idea that I shall break my neck if I attempt it, whereas F. goes on over the worst road, just as if it were perfectly level. Excuse this digression, for it is a relief to me to be a little spiteful about his pace whenever I have the opportunity, and it will probably be my last chance of expressing my entire disapproval of it. Helen was tied up to a post, and F., after helping me to dismount, set off at a canter over the adjoining swamp, on his way to cross the chain of hills between the river and the flat where the great coach-road to the west coast runs. I had brought the ingredients for my five o'clock tea, without which I am always a lost and miserable creature, and I amused myself during my solitude by picking up dry bits of scrub for my fire. But I had to go down the river-bank for some driftwood, to make the old kettle belonging to the hut boil. I could not help wondering how any human being could endure such solitude for years, as the occupant of a hut like this is necessarily condemned to. In itself it is as snug and comfortable as possible, with a little paddock for the shepherd's horse, an acre or so of garden, now overgrown with self-sown potatoes, peas, strawberry, raspberry and gooseberry plants, the little thatched fowl house near, and the dog kennels, all giving it a thoroughly home-like look. The hoarse roar of the river over its rocky bed was the only sound now and then a flock of wild ducks would come flying down to their roosting-place or nests among the towy grass and as the evening closed in the melancholy cry of the bittern and the weka's loud call broke the stillness but only to make it appear more profound on each side of the ravine in which the hut stands rise lofty hills so steeply from the water's edge that in places we can find no footing for our horses and have to ride in the river at this time of the year the sheep are all upon the hills so you do not hear even a bleat but in winter they come down to the sunny sheltered flats it appeared to me as if i was alone there for hours although it really was less than one hour when f returned with a large bundle of letters and papers tied to his saddle-bow t was quite ready now so he tied up his horse next helen and we had tea and looked at our letters One of the first I opened told me that some friends from Christchurch, whom I expected to pay us a visit soon, were on their way up that very day, and in fact might be expected to arrive just about that hour. I was filled with blank dismay, for not only did the party consist of three grown-up people, nay, four, but three little children. I had made elaborate plans in my head as to how and where they should all be stowed away for a fortnight but had naturally deferred till the last moment to carry out my arrangements for they entailed giving up our own bedroom and camping in the dining-room besides wonderful substitutes of big packing-cases for cribs etc etc but alas here we were eight miles from home and nothing done not even any extra food ordered or prepared the obvious thing was to mount our horses and return as fast as ever we could and hastened out of the hut to the spot where we had left them both securely tied to the only available post, through which, unfortunately, five wires ran, as it was one of the standards of a fence which extended for miles. Just as we came out of the hut in a great bustle, our evil destiny induced F's horse to rub its nose against the top wire of the fence, and in this process it caught the bar of its snaffle-bit, and immediately pulled back. This made all the wires jingle, helen instantly took alarm and pulled back too fresh and increased vibration extending up the hillside and echoing back an appalling sound was the result of this movement in an instant there were both horses pulling with all their force against the fence terrified to death and no wonder for the more they pulled the more the wires jingled f did all he could to soothe them with blandishments i tried to coax helen but the nearer we drew the more frantically they backed and plunged and the more the noise increased till it was a case of one struggle more and i am free and leaving their bridles still fastened to the fatal fence by the reins we had the satisfaction of seeing both our horses careering wildly about first celebrating their escape from danger by joyous and frantic bounds and kicks and then setting off down the gorge of the river as hard as they could go i fairly sat down and whimpered a little not only at the thought of our eight miles walk over shingle with a deep river to be crossed nine times but at the idea of my poor little guests arriving to find no supper no beds no nothing f tried to cheer me up and said the only thing was to get home as quick as possible but he did not expect to find that our friends had arrived for it had been very hazy over the plains all day and probably had rained hard in christchurch so he thought they would not have started on their journey at all. But I refused to accept any comfort from this idea, and bemoaned myself entirely on their account incessantly. When we came to the first crossing, F. picked me up and carried me over dry shod, and this he did at all the fords. But in one we very nearly came to grief, for I was tilted like a sack over his shoulder, and when we were quite in the middle, and the water was very deep, up to his waist, He kept hoisting my feet higher and higher, quite forgetting that there was plenty more of me on the other side of his shoulder, so it ended in my arms getting very wet, which he did not seem to think mattered at all, so long as my feet were dry, whereas I rather preferred having my feet than my head plunged into a surging, deafening yellow current. At the entrance of the gorge is a large stockyard, and near to it, at least a mile or two off, a large mob of horses is generally to be found feeding. We heard neighing and galloping about amongst them, as we came out of the gorge. It was much too dark to distinguish anything, but we guessed that our horses had joined these, and the sounds we heard were probably those of welcome. But the whole mob set off the moment we came near, and crossed the river again, entailing a tenth wetting upon poor F. I was posted at the entrance of the gorge, with instructions to shout, and otherwise keep them from going up by the route we had just come but it was more than an hour before f could get round the wary brutes so as to turn them with their heads towards the stockyard of course he had to bring up the whole mob my talents in the shouting line were not called out upon this occasion for they all trotted into the stockyard of their own accord and i had nothing to do but put up the slip-rail as fast as i could with only one available arm for though it is better i cannot use the other yet when f came up we both went into the yard and could soon make out the two horses which had their saddles on that was the only way we could distinguish them in the dark it was now nearly eleven o'clock and though warm enough it was very cloudy not a star to be seen we fastened on the patched-up bridles as well as we could by feeling and mounted and rode home about three miles more as fast as we could when we entered the flat near our house, we heard long and prolonged coo from all sides. The servants had made up their minds that some terrible misfortune had happened to us, and were setting out to look for us, coo as they came along. F. pointed out to me, with a sort of I-told-you-so air, that there was no light in the drawing-room. So it was evident our friends had not arrived, and when we dismounted, I found to my great joy that the house was empty. All our fatigue was forgotten in thankfulness that the poor travellers had not been exposed to such a cold, comfortless reception as would have awaited them if they had made their journey that day. I must tell you they arrived quite safely the next evening, but very tired, especially the poor children. However, everything was ready, and the little boys were particularly pleased with their box-beds, greatly preferring the difficulties of getting in and out of them to their pretty little cribs at home such are boys all over the world next month we leave this forever and go down to Christchurch to make our final arrangements for the long voyage of a hundred days before us as the time draws near i realize how strong is the tie which has grown even in these few short years around my heart connecting it with this lovely land and the kind friends i have found in it f feels the parting more deeply than i do if possible though for different reasons he has lived so long among these beautiful hills and is so accustomed to have before his eyes the grand outlines he was telling me this the other day and has put the same feelings into the following verses which i now send you a farewell the seamen shout once and together the anchor breaks up from the ground and the ship's head swings to the weather to the wind and the sea swings round with a clamour of the great sail-steadies, in extreme of a storm-scarce furled, already a short wake eddies, and a furrow is cleft and curled to the right and the left. Float out from the harbour and highland that hides all the region I know. Let me look a last time on the island. We'll see from the sea to the snow. The lines of the ranges I follow. I travel the hills with my eyes, for I know where they make a deep hollow a valley of grass, and the rise of streams, clearer than glass. That haunt is too far for me wingless, and the hills of it sink out of sight. Yet my thought here but broken and stringless, and the daylight of song were but night. If I could not at will a winged dream let lift me, and take me, and set me again by the trees and the streamlet, these leagues make a wide water, yet the whole world shall not hide. Now my days leave the soft silent byway, and clothed in a various sort in iron or gold on life's highway new feet shall succeed or stop short shod hard these may be or made splendid fair in many or evil in few but the going of bare feet is ended of naked feet set in the new meadow grass sweet and wet i will long for the ways of soft walking grown tired of the dust and the glare and mute in the midst of much talking will pine for the silences rare streets of peril and speech full of malice will recall me the pastures in peace which gardened and guarded these valleys with grasses as high as the knees calm as high as the sky while the island secure in my spirited ease on its own ocean rides in memory a ship sailing near it shall float in with favouring tides Shall enter the harbours and land me to visit the gorges and heights whose aspects seem once to command me, as queens, by their charms, command knights to achievements of arms. And as knights have caught sight of queens' faces through the dust of the lists and the din, so remembering these holiest places in the days when I lose or I win, I will yearn to them, all being over, triumphant or trampled beneath, to this beautiful isle like a lover, To her evergreen breaks for a wreath, for a tear to her lakes. The last of her now is a brightening far fire in the forested hills. The breeze, as the night nears is heightening, the cordage draws tighter and thrills, like a horse that is spurred by the rider, the great vessel quivers and quails, and passes the billows beside her. The fair wind is strong in her sails. She is lifted along. The End End of Letter twenty five End of Station Life in New Zealand by Lady Marianne Barker Read by Gail Timmerman Vaughan during 2013 in Canterbury, New Zealand.